It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. The Locked On NBA Fantasy Minute is presented by PrizePix. PrizePix is the most fun you can have playing daily fantasy basketball and winning up to 25 times your money. Go to prizepix.com slash LockedOnNBA and use the code LockedOnNBA for a first deposit match up to $100. We are very much in the thick of the fantasy basketball playoffs. You might be starting it this week. You might be already in it. It might be a week away. And at this point of the year, with only five weeks left in the entire regular season, Playing the schedule is the most important thing. So this week, the Minnesota Timberwolves and the Los Angeles Lakers play two games only. So any fringe players you have from those teams, even guys, yes, like Kyle Anderson replacing Kyle Anthony Towns, that's not worth it with two games on. You need to be stacking extra games and you need to be looking at the teams with four games. You need to be looking at teams with games early in the week and then switching them out for teams with more games later in the week. Get more games in, play the schedule, be cutthroat with injuries and get players in to get yourself success for fantasy basketball. This Lockdown Podcast is brought to you by Home Chef. Now that the novelty of the new year has dwindled down, how are your resolutions coming? One of mine was to order less takeout, cook more at home. But I'll be honest, I haven't been consistent. That is until I found Home Chef. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify the cooking experience and without robbing you of the joy of putting a dish together yourself. I'm Pescatarian, and they cater to a variety of dietary needs. I had this super refreshing ginger sesame salmon, a beautiful trout dish, and a super comforting shrimp and vegetable orzo dish, all of which took me less than 30 minutes to put together. For a limited time right now, Home Chef is offering all of our listeners 18 free meals, plus free shipping on your first box, and free dessert for life at homechef.com slash locked on. That's homechef.com slash locked on for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. Homechef.com slash locked on must be an active subscriber to receive free dessert. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire. You need Indeed. You are Locked On Pacers, your daily Indiana Pacers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome in to another edition of the Locked On Pacers podcast, where we, of course, talk about the Indiana Pacers as always. My name's Tony East. I cover the team for Forbes and SI, and today... We're talking Pacers, Sixers, two teams just finished battling in Philadelphia. Pacers end up losing to the Sixers, giving Philly their first win of the season, although Philly looked much more talented in this game, winning 120-106. What went wrong? Where can the Pacers grow from this? Then I want to highlight two different players who have been talked about or not talked about in one guy's case uh, for different reasons recently. One's Chris Duarte, who struggled, but I want to talk about why, what he can do to be a little better, and how the Pacers can help him. And then the other one, it's TJ McConnell. They just played his old team in Philly. But also, I think he's being underrated as his importance to the team this year, despite struggling tonight specifically. And I have some stats and stuff 
to back that up. But let's start with the game. We always talk about the games first here on the Lockdown Pacers podcast. Pacers fall in Philly 120-106 to 106 in a game that was kind of weird, right? Pacers, really good start. Really, really good start to this game. Halfway through the first quarter, they were winning. It was their best start to a game of the season. Their first first quarter lead of the entire season. Even in the game they won against Detroit, they did not lead until the second quarter of that game. And then it all fell apart down the stretch of that first quarter. This was the worst game for the Pacers' second unit of the season. Philly was up 10 by the time the quarter even ended. I think it was an 11-point lead at one point for Philly in the first quarter. So, yes, the Pacers started a little better, but they still had their first quarter woes. And the big part of this, you know, the Pacers started the game off. They were doubling Embiid on the catch, forcing him to throw it out. And they were hustling out to the shooters on the passing, forcing guys inside where they were packing the paint, right? Good defensive game plan. It was working really well when Embiid was in. And then Doc Rivers subs Joel Embiid out. Montrez Harrell comes in, and the Sixers stop doubling. And it's James Harden and the Sixers' second unit, and they could spread it out a tiny bit more. And weirdly enough, Joel Embiid, who's killed the Pacers forever and ever coming out of the game, is what turned this game for the Sixers. Harden plush the bench, totally crushed the Pacers in this game and all night. James Harden has been awesome to start this season for the Sixers. He was so close to a triple-double. He was he finished with 29 points, 9 rebounds, and 11 assists. And he, with no Embiid in this game, so Harden plus the Sixers bench in this game, plus 12 in a 14-point win. That was basically the game, is those lineups were really hard for the Pacers to defend. Some of that's they, they were with their second unit, but it's you're defending Harden more on an island when it's just him versus when Embiid's out there. They're still more potent, potent when they have both guys. Double teams are flying. They have the most one of the most electric pick-and-roll combos in the league, but you know in this game specifically, in the way the Pacers are able to defend the Sixers, Harden alone was actually a little bit trickier for what the Pacers' lineups could be in this game. Now, also, Embiid no Harden was also really tricky for the Pacers, right? The single-star lineups were actually what was really difficult for the Pacers, and the second unit in particular, who's been doing so well, that group hasn't had to go against stars a lot this season, right? Beal would typically be out for their long runs against Washington. Cade Cunningham was typically out against Detroit. The Spurs didn't really have a, a star, depending on how you feel, like Keldon Johnson. So, this was the first time the second unit's really, I mean, they've went on against some talented players, but no one to this caliber of the James Harden, Joel Embiid, you know, been to the, been on longer playoff runs, I guess Embiid really hasn't, but <laughs> been really talented for a long time level of players, and they really couldn't contain them in this game, and that's where this one broke, right? Embiid plus eight, Harden plus 16 on the night, and that's what this game went down to, because the Pacers had some guys play well but they really struggled with the Stars. And I think that's the biggest story from this game, and I think it will be an issue for them all season. Now, to be fair, they are Stars because teams can't contain them, right? That's why they're a superstar. They're hard to guard. So it's not unique to the Pacers that they can't struggle with these guys, but they already in the past have had very little answers for these bulkier strong wings, and, you know, Brogdon couldn't really keep up with quick lateral guards, and now the Pacers... A lot of their good defenders from past teams are gone. They're relying a lot on Aaron Neesmith and Chris Duarte to kind of defend these Harden types. And with a, you know, even Miles Turner just gets destroyed by Embiid, right? Always through his career. But in this matchup specifically, they don't have a Sabonis to kind of give him some bulk, right, in the post. Goga tried a little bit, didn't go very well. Isaiah Jackson had five fouls in this game. Jalen Smith is a little thinner, right? They will really struggle with, especially the Philly Stars, but in general, they don't have good answers for Stars on this team, and this game really showed the super-duper Stars are going to be very tough for the Pacers this season. When they play the Nets again, um, excuse me, when they play the Nets for the first time, but they play them twice, when they play the Nets this coming weekend, I think that will be on display 
once again, trying to go against Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. So that's the biggest takeaway from this game to me. Stars, obviously good, but the Pacers specifically will have little answers for them. Now, the other story to that, to me in this game, you know, right after the Pacers put together three consecutive, really solid connected quarters on both ends against the Detroit Pistons, this game, a lot of players struggled to be, you know, having good play at the same time. I just forgot how to use good words, so that's the sentence you'll get. But the, it was a lot of tale of two halves kind of games for several players in this game. Let's start with Ben Matherin, right? Benedict Matherin at halftime, 0 for 7. Really struggled in the first half of this game. Did not make a single shot. Looked like Philly was going to be tough for him. And then in the second half, Benedict Matherin was 6 for 9 from the field, 15 points. He was fantastic in the second half, really turned it around. The Pacers in the fourth quarter, they, the seven's not a close game. I'll put some air quotes up, but they got it close and down to seven on this one run of the whole game where Matherin and Halliburton were kind of clicking together. And they had a couple other guys doing well at that time. Buddy Heald hit a three in that stretch, right? They had, or excuse me, Chris Duarte hit a three, not Buddy Heald, right? They had two guys overlapping with good play at the same time. That was really rare for the Pacers in this game because a lot of guys had these tale of two halves kind of game. But Matherin was one of them. He could not get anything going in the first half. His shots, he couldn't get quite to his spots. His three ball wasn't falling. And they needed that in the first half, right? They got down big in this game. Their biggest deficit of this game was really early in the third and and, and late in the second because you know they just couldn't quite overlap with those runs. Another guy who had a tale of two halves kind of game and the opposite of Matherin's completely was Jalen Smith. Jalen Smith far and away the best pacer in the first half of this game. 17 points and five boards at halftime. That's on pace for a 34 and 10 night. Six for 10 from the field, hit a pair of threes, was doing a wonderful job. In the second half, Jalen Smith, 0 for 2 from the field, no points. Only plays about 10 minutes in that half. You know, the Pacers' runs were coming with him not on the floor. You know, there were some smaller ball groups that were doing a little better. He was way better at putting his stamp on this game in the first half, but not so much in the second half. Tyrese Halliburton, his first half was fine. You know, Halliburton has less of this problem, but he had four points at halftime. He had eight assists, right? He was still doing a good job controlling the game. He finally really puts his aggressiveness thing that he's been working on, that kind of stamp on the game, in the third quarter when he had 13 points alone. And then in the fourth, Tyrese Halliburton finishes with two points, only takes one shot, right? So his impact was only there in the third quarter. I could keep going on and on. I'll do one more. Chris Duarte was not doing much in this game for the first couple quarters. We will talk about that at the end. In the fourth quarter, scores over half of his points, buries a three, huge part of the run, plus five, right? If he could have had so a little bit more impact earlier in the game, perhaps it would have been closer. You know, a lot of these guys only had a pocket of the game where they looked solid, and the rest of the game, they were kind of floating in and out. It didn't look as good. So the only constants were Buddy Heald and Aaron Neesmith on the defensive end, although his offense was fine. You know, everybody else kind of waxed and waned and, and went on a roller coaster kind of game. You can't have that against a team that you're not as talented as. The Pacers really struggled to get guys on the same page and have that sort of connected, forceful approach that got them a win over Detroit, especially on the defensive end. They had very few guys who I would say defended extremely well in this game. Neesmith did defend pretty well, I think, but no one defended extremely well uh, in this game. So a uh, tricky night for the Pacers in terms of getting guys to overlap with success at the same time, uh, but that is the consequence of having a young team. It's hard to sometimes, you know, their, their new rotation, I think, is better at getting guys in the right situations to succeed at the same time, but it was really tough for them to have that in this game, and when you're playing a team that has Joel Embiid and James Harden, that's going to cost you. So couldn't get in the grooves, couldn't string stops together, and then also you need to tie those stops in 
to get going on offense. For This is something I talk about a lot for the Pacers. Yes, they struggle on defense. They're going to be one of the worst defensive teams in the league. I don't want to beat that dead horse, but I would like to continue to add to that by saying this team has talked about they want to be electric in transition and early offense. And you can't do those things as effectively if you're not getting into transition and getting stops. So defense is doubly important for them because of the things they say they want to be good at on the offensive end of the floor when you have like these games like this where it's really up and down for every kind of player it's really hard to get in those rhythms where you're getting a lot of stops in a row and the only time they had a lot of overlap in that early fourth quarter where they were getting it from Mather and they were getting it from Duarte you know to start the frame uh Nembard was contributing at that stage right that was when they came back and almost made this game interesting it was a seven point game so getting more of those sort of stretches where everybody's looking good is how you have games like they had on Saturday against Detroit but against better teams I think you're going to see nights like this where they kind of weave all over the place uh and, and have a couple of guys who play well and some who don't so one of those guys who had a little bit of a bounce back game. I don't want to say he played bad. Chris Duarte in this game goes four for nine, nine points, four rebounds for him. He has really struggled to start the season prior to this game, though. And I want to talk about why, what he can do better, and what the Pacers can do better to make last year's all-rookie team member, one of the best 10 rookies in the NBA last year, look a little bit more like that guy. Look like that guy that was doing well as a connecting piece in the preseason before. We talk about Chris Duarte and what the Pacers can do better with his play and his development and what he can do better. I want to talk to you guys about LinkedIn Jobs. These days, every potential new hire for your business can feel like a high-stage wager, especially if you're a small business. You want to be 100% certain you have access to the best qualified candidates available. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs helps find the right people for your team faster and for free. You just hop on LinkedIn, create a job post, and it's super easy. You add your job to the purple hiring frame on your LinkedIn profile to spread the word that your company is hiring. They have simple tools like screening questions that make it easy to focus on candidates with just the right skills and experience so you can quickly prioritize who you'd like to interview and hire to help you finish the year strong and have the right team member to do exactly what you need. It's why small businesses rate LinkedIn Jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. LinkedIn Jobs help you find the qualified candidates you want to talk to and faster. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash LockedOnNBA. That's linkedin.com slash LockedOnNBA to post your job for free on LinkedIn. Terms and conditions apply. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Thank you, as always, for making Locked On Pictures your first listen today and every single day for your second listen. Obviously, listen to Locked On Sixers. They just played very well against the Pacers. What are the takeaways from the other side of the court as the Sixers get their first win of the season? Go check out Locked On Sixers for your second listen today. Let's talk about Chris Duarte, a guy I've wanted to highlight already. He had a decent preseason, but not enough to get what I could consider his own segment. He played okay in this game, which isn't enough for his own segment, but his start to the season merits more discussion. A big part of that is, but prior to this game, Chris Duarte was shooting 26% from the field and 20% from deep. He was 6 for 23. He's now 10 for 31. So much closer, in fact, exceeding 30% now. Still bad, but a step forward going 4 for 9 
against the Sixers. And after a decent preseason, right, we'll talk about that in a second, and a wonderful rookie year, a wonderful rookie year, he shot 43% from the field, 37% from deep, doubled his points per game from what it is now last year. 13 points per game last year, six now, right? What's going on? He should be improving. He should be improving, and he hasn't. Now, four games, very small sample, very, very small sample. That's very key to remember throughout this entire discussion. If we hit game 15, and this is still what Chris Duarte looks like, then yes, concern, alarm bells, panic, whatever. I am not that kind of person. I will not be for any player, any team, until about 15, 20 games in. But I do want to contextualize Chris Duarte's poor start because those numbers are alarmingly bad, right? 20% from deep, 26% from the field entering this game merits some discussion. So what's going on? Well, to talk about what's going on, let's actually talk about what happened in his fourth game against Philly tonight. Let's talk about his nine shots. He made four of them, okay? Two of them were tough step backs, tough step back shots. Not the greatest shots ever. He's okay at those tougher step backs. He actually hit one of them. Um, both were below 10 seconds on the shot clock, but more than five, right? So, uh, eh, you don't want Chris Duarte taking those shots, but whatever. He took those shots. That's two of his nine. The other seven shots were a made layup off of an offensive rebound, a layup attempt, three open threes, and two late shot clock shots he had to take. And oh, by the way, he made both of those late shot clock shots. So, seven of his nine shots were either good or had to take it shots. You can't fault them for those shots. They're good shots. They're at the rim and, or they're open threes. Or they, someone has to shoot because there's no time on the clock, right? Seven of his nine shots were good shots. You cannot fault Chris Duarte for taking those shots. And so I was tracking his shots throughout the game and I thought, okay, he's, he's, he's you know, his approach to, to when he should shoot is correct. They're getting him shots that he should be taking. So let's look at his season numbers. Entering this game, of his shots that he's taken this season, 70% are what NBA.com classifies as open or wide open. Open means four to six feet away is your closest defender. Four feet away, wide open is six plus feet away. 70% of his shots entering this game were in that situation. I think they're going to classify, given the closest defenders, that two-thirds of his shots in this Philly game, six out of nine, were open or wide open, right? So that will continue to be about the same. So he is taking good shots. He's taking open shots. They're just not going in, right? They're just not going in. And that is... Sometimes that ends up being the laziest form of analysis. I kind of hate dumbing it down to that at times, right? I hate saying, oh, he's just missing open shots. But like the Spurs hit 54% from three in a game, you know, uh, last Friday. And they're three and one now, by the way. We'll talk about them a little bit in the third segment here. Like that just happens. Like sometimes guys get hot and sometimes guys miss a lot. And it's been four games and he went four for nine in this game. Like that 44% is better than when he shot from the field last year, right? Like it looks like a bounce back could potentially be being started. That was that was a better game for him, right? He found some of more of his open shots against Detroit. He shot 14 times, which was a lot, but he found more of those shots, right? I think he's finding his groove a little more, but the stat I wanted to point out was the open shots one and, and talking about it the Philly game because, you know, Duarte's defense has been fine pretty much all season, right? That, that, that was He was really good on defense against the Pistons. But things like this can happen through four games where he's just really off even with open shots. So, yeah, the, the the more concerning part, and we'll get to this at the end, is just that he kind of looked disconnected and floaty at times in a way that he didn't in the preseason. But a better question I want to talk about first is how is he getting his touches and how can the Pacers maximize those so he's either getting fewer of the opportunities where he feels like he needs to take those contested fadeaways or where he's getting more of the open looks because he is just kind of... He is kind of being forced into more creation opportunities where he's dribbling around a screen. Now, here's what I will say. For a developing team like the Pacers, Chris Duarte should get some of those opportunities. I just think they need to be better or higher quality or required opportunities, right? Late in the clock, 
kind of things instead of, you know, hey, Chris, try to create your own shot on this possession. Like, that's not setting him up the best way necessarily. And this year also, beyond the creation opportunities being different for him where he's asked to self-create a little bit, even though he's better at it this year than last year. He's got a few more moves in his bag. But he's not quite there in terms of getting his spot shot all the time. And he, he, he does look to pass a little more. Halliburton talked about that early in the season, but he still looks at the rim a little too often when he's cut off and tries to do a fadeaway instead of passing or looking for a better shot. And he's also got better defenders on him, right? Guys know who he is now. His his reputation exists uh, to a point after being really good last year, starting the season off miraculously, right? And, and by the way, that's another thing. Remember how good he was to start last season? I'd even put this in my notes. He obviously wasn't that good of a player either, right? You can have extreme results on both ends of the spectrum. This just happens to be the negative end. But either way, you know, there are a lot of context points to... to that exists for him with better defenders in different situations. I think the Pacers just need to find a way to get him slightly better advantages right when he catches the ball. You know, open shots are open shots. Those are already an advantage. But if he's going to be a guy who's forced to attack a pick and roll, you know, give him a half step right on the catch. Or, you know, give him, a, 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 let him run those with more favorable matchups. So he's getting those reps in against guys that he can get good looks off of so he understands what works against those guys. Now, this is all way easier said than done. Give the balance development with winning early in the season and partnering him with the right players, and they're still figuring out the right lineups for him, right? They've already changed their starting lineup. It's been four games. So it's all way easier said than done, as everything ever is. But they need to, I think they can get him a little bit better of situations. But that said, I think even if his role hardly changes at all, his shot will start to fall eventually. Like I said, in this game, seven of the nine shots were either good or had to take them shots, and that's fine. And 70% of his looks being open, they'll start to go in. Chris Duarte has enough of a pedigree as a shooter for me to believe that. And the defense has been fine or better in every game. But that said, the struggles are obvious. I don't want to diminish them, right? Because it's not just shots not going in, right? Some of it is forcing shots. Some of it is that he just, you know, floating is a term I've, I've used before and seen used before for guys that are on the floor but don't really feel like they're impacting anything. They're just kind of floating around in space as one of the 10 guys in the court. Like, he has felt floaty at times. And that is problematic. Like, how can he, if that's mistimed cuts, if that's standing in the wrong place, it's just he doesn't look like a guy adding a lot of impact at times. I don't want to diminish that he has struggled beyond just making missing shots, but I think that there will be some sort of bounce back where his impact looks way closer to this season, and you saw it a little bit in this Philly game, which made me want to talk about it. And I think the bounce back is guaranteed. Let's talk about the preseason. Even if preseason is only half real or whatever you know in the first half of games it's all nba players playing chris duarte shot 52 percent excuse me 51.4 percent in the preseason right he was finding the way to make the shots in those games and was being a good connecting piece and averaging nearly three assists per game which would have blown his stats away from last year as a passer and a play finisher right like it's there. He, the, the blueprint was there in those games. He looked fine in those games. So maybe he's getting, you know, he's had a ton of really hard hits. Uh, maybe that's causing him some issues. And he definitely had a rough start to the season. Extremely rough. But I think he will bounce back. I think the context says just give him slightly more advantageous situations. And he will continue to grow this season. Because, you know, at age 25, I think this is an important year for him, right? Going into year three at age 26, there needs to be a lot of confidence behind him that he can be a key part of this team. I think he can as a 3 and D piece. But finding the right role, what guys he fits with, and how he can be best maximized is very important when they have established Benedict Matherin and Tyrese Halliburton instead of young and growing Benedict Matherin and Tyrese Halliburton. 
So that's what I wanted to talk about with Chris Duarte. I think more patience is required, and in general, I'm a long-term approach thinking kind of guy, but in this kind of game where he gets his feet under him a little bit, you know, give him a little bit of time, I think that some bounce back will come, but that said, if he still feels like he's disengaged at times or is only impacting the game on defense, some concerns will need to pop up as we get 15 or so games into the season. One more player to highlight today, ex-Sixer after playing the Sixers, TJ McConnell. Look at him go. Not the greatest game in this game, but has become very important for Benedict Mather and Isaiah Jackson. Did you know that? Yeah, you're about to. Let's talk about it. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner, and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Thank you, as always, for making Locked On Pacers your first listen today and every single day. For your second listen, check out Locked On Spurs. Like I said, go hear from Jeff Garcia about the 3-1 Spurs, who have now beaten the Pacers, of course, and the Sixers and the Timberwolves. Are the Spurs maybe good? Or are they just on fire? Who knows? Greg Popovich always makes his teams do well. Jeff Garcia will have all that for you and more over at Locked On Spurs. Let's talk about TJ McConnell. And TJ McConnell has not been talked about very much with the Pacers for a million reasons, right? First of all, talking about him right now seems a little silly to me, but I planned on doing a segment on him before this game even started. He was one for three. He had two points, two assists, minus 10 in this game. Doesn't matter. That's not what I want to talk about, right? He is showing why through the first couple games, including this game even, why he is important to a young team, right? And he's been under-discussed for a bajillion reasons. They're a young team. He's older. He's about to turn 30. He, am I, is he already 30? I can't remember. He's a, yes, okay, he is 30. He's a, he, it's a young team, and he is 30. Excuse me. There was no trade chatter for him to be discussed in the offseason, like every other vet on this team. Literally every other vet on this team became an offseason discussion point because of some sort of external chatter, except for TJ McConnell. So he wasn't a young guy that merited a bunch of discussion about his development, and he wasn't an old guy that merited a bunch of discussion about his game and his value. He just sort of was there. T.J. McConnell was there. He's a valuable vet. He was a half coach last year during his broken wrist time. He's a useful piece for this team. He just hasn't been discussed very much. Quietly, though, has been pretty good for the Pacers this year, both in general and with the second unit. Again, this particular game, minus 10. Let's talk about the first three games really quickly for a second. Did you know that T.J. McConnell's on-off plus minus net rating right now is plus 8.6, plus 6.4 net rating with McConnell on, minus 2.2 with him off. The offense gets 6 points per 100 possessions better. The defense gets 1.5 points per 100 possessions better. Marvelous level of impact, right? And, and let's talk about what net rating is. That is a team stat with him on and off the court. So he's with the second unit most of the time, and the second unit's been good, but he's a big part of the success of that unit right? Because he's good on defense, because he's so solid on offense. And I think the biggest thing to me, and this is something he helps any unit with, because he's played with Halliburton quite a bit uh, this season. Not quite a bit. He's played with Halliburton more than I expected this season. He's been in lineups along with Tyrese. But this is the thing that he does the best of any player on the Pacers team, uh, except with the exception of maybe Halliburton, driving towards the basket. I talk about this with him all the time. Of the guys, of the top 50 players in the NBA, in drives per game, right? All of them are playing 20 or more minutes per game. 
except for two. One is Darius Garland, who got hurt 13 minutes into his season. The other one is TJ McConnell, who was averaging 13 drives per game in like 16 minutes per game, right? Like every possession, it feels like he's in there. He attacks the paint at some point. He gets into the lane and he makes the defense move around in some way, whether that's step one step off their man to be ready to help, or a big man steps up, or they have to think about the lob to Isaiah Jackson, maybe going over their head, you know, all the stuff going on that he is making guys think and react. And Rick Carlisle's talked about reacting a lot this year. You never want to be the team reacting you want to be the team that's forcing the other team to react <laughs> there's a word for that but what if you get what i'm saying tj mcconnell is very good about that and that makes the second unit's offense much better and sets other guys up for success and of course he's a nosy and, and useful defensive player and so the the guy that i've noticed this with the most where his drive sort of bend the defense and another ball handler sort of relieves the pressure is Benedict Matherin, who's been awesome this year, obviously. Um, let's talk about Benedict Matherin's scoring, and specifically his points per possession. Benedict Matherin playing with TJ McConnell. Benedict Matherin with TJ McConnell. 47.2 points per 100 possessions. 40, insane. Crazy numbers, right? Benedict Matherin without TJ McConnell. 31.4 points per 100 possessions. That's 15 more. 15 more points per 100 possessions playing with McConnell because he gets better situations, the defense is already bent, and he can kind of have a release valve so the, the situations just make more sense. The defense is defending against more than one guy. They don't have to lock in on him as much. Now, without McConnell, the other thing is he's playing with other guys who are more capable scorers that take away scoring opportunities from him. So that's another reason that the number is lower is that without McConnell, he has other scoring threats where McConnell's a passing threat, but also McConnell sets him up specifically and can bend a defense in a way that works for the second unit. I thought that was noteworthy. Another guy is Isaiah Jackson, right? They have great chemistry on lobs. Isaiah Jackson playing with McConnell, 31 points per 100 possessions. That goes down to 18.4 when TJ McConnell sits. You understand these numbers to say, you know, a lot of guys with the second unit who Mather and not as much as Isaiah Jackson, but in general, guys who need a little bit more creation or a little bit defensive changes, bend to whatever, TJ McConnell really helps them. And that's where he provides a lot of value to this team, right? So that is something I've thought what, what is, is absolutely fascinating. You know, Matherin has been assisted uh, four, four times by McConnell in the first three games, plus a few more in this game. Uh, I, I just pulled up the assist networks right now, right? So, it, you know, that chemistry is already there. He has a lot of impact on those younger players with the second unit. Of course, he's nosy as F on defense. He's getting a few more of those backcourt steals. So, even without his shot working for him, right? He's shooting pretty poorly on those little fadeaways he was really good at for a couple seasons with the Pacers, uh, and he's not taking as many. Maybe his minutes dwindle throughout the season even. If that shot's not there, they want to play Nembard a little more. Right now, he's really helping a lot of guys by being a good lob passer, by being a good rim attacker, by making the de defense bend, and by himself being a good on-ball defender in a way that makes the bigs behind him life easier. That's why he's a plus in terms of on-off on both ends of the floor right now. So yeah, TJ McConnell doesn't get talked about much for a lot of reasons. On a younger team, his role is not necessarily the most important thing long-term, but he's still super valuable to the team right now, and I think he merits some praise for the way he's able to elevate other players when he's on the floor. Of course, he is very limited himself, but I think he's had a nice start to the season showing why he still deserves to be the backup point guard, to get minutes every game, because he's going to make Matherin's life easier. He's going to make Jackson's life easier, even to a lesser extent. A guy we just talked about, Chris Duarte. 
Chris Duarte is getting some of his catch-and-shoot opportunities because he's out there with TJ McConnell, right? That is why, you know, he's done such a good job uh, so far out there uh, helping these guys. He's to assist even the Andrew Nembard, who's kind of learning to balance playing the one and playing the two. So McConnell, yes, it, kind of an in-between piece for this Pacers team between one era and the next, right? He's the third longest tenured Pacer, but he's also very valuable to young players, both as an off-court mentor and an on-court piece. And I think that I wanted to talk about that, one, because they're playing his former team, but two, when I was looking at the numbers today, I walked away very impressed with the way he's able to help some of these other guys when he's on the floor with his passing, with his set of ability, and with his gaudy driving numbers that are really, really impressive compared to the rest of the NBA. Pacers lost this game. They'll have to learn from it to bounce back. Uh, Bulls tomorrow. A little bit easier of an opponent, although the Bulls just smoked the Celtics despite being down double digits in the first quarter. So they might be tough in that way. I'll be in the United Center, so I'll have lots of fun takeaways from that game. Should be really, really exciting. Uh, we'll break it all down here for you, of course, on the Lockdown Pacers podcast. Plus, Mad Ants just drafted a player in the first round. Their training camp roster's out. Got to do the primer. For the Mad Ant season, and we'll talk about some other stuff, as we always do here on the Lockdown Pacers podcast. Hope everybody enjoyed the game, and if you made it this far, thank you so much. We'll be back tomorrow. Have a great day. We'll see you then. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Lockdown podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.